All right, so we are in Mark chapter 2, and uh, about the first two-thirds of it, it was really fun this week. And I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but uh, once a week, I get together with uh, Joe Papinaw, who's sick this afternoon, by the way, just came upon him. Uh, Joe Papinaw, Dustin Cloud over here, um, Fred uh, Genove, and uh, Ken Kirvin even, and I'm basically discipling them to preach the word and, and teaching them how to teach in a sense so that I can kind of share the pulpit and get rid of a few keys on my keychain, if you know what I'm saying. And also, right after we get done studying the word, I'm teaching them how to play the guitar and lead worship. So it's really fun. Pray for them because this week they have the assignment of singing in front of me. It's going to be great. So didn't you want to come and join us for that, Mike? Uh, we accept cow yodeling, so you, yeah. Um, but uh, so this week was kind of fun because we went through Mark chapter two together, and I kind of showed them my process of preparing a message. And so some of what we have here today is the work of three of us preparing the word for you guys. So I will let you know everything that was Dustin and Joe, so that they get the credit. But oh, he's not here. That's awesome. yeah, it'll just be you. <laughs> uh, so it says there in verse one. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Uh, so Capernaum, we've read about this in chapter one, uh, was known as the headquarters of Jesus's Galilean ministry. Okay. Uh, it's on the north, northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Part of our studying, it was really fun as we got on Google Earth. And I kind of gave them a little tour with Google Earth. So if you have Google Earth, look up Bible places. It's a really fun thing to do. Um, but it was known as his headquarters. Jesus did a lot in Capernaum. And, uh, and it says that he had returned there. You remember last week, he had been doing a lot of ministry in Capernaum. He cast out demons in the synagogue. He'd gone to Peter's house, healed Peter's mother-in-law. Um, he healed, uh, he was healing and ministering. And then the next morning, early before the sun rose, Jesus went and prayed. And when Peter came, once the sun had come up and said, everyone's looking for you, what are you doing? You know, uh, Jesus said, it's time to, we got to go on and preach the word because that's why I came here. And so he went around, he ended up healing a leper, probably went around the Decapolis. Um, Matthew's gospel says he went actually across the sea to the east side of the sea to the tomb of the Gadarenes where there was the demon possessed guy. And now after some days, it says, he had come back here. Uh, they, uh, scholars kind of picture this early summer or late spring around AD 28. But you'll remember that uh, there was a certain house in Capernaum. And it's referenced here, like we should know what house that is. And it uh, probably was Peter's house. Uh, again, if you go to um, Israel today, you, they know which house was Peter's. In fact, churches would meet there over the centuries. And there's a, there's a Byzantine church built over Peter's house right now. You can still see Peter's house. And then up kind of on stilts is a Byzantine church. And uh, I put a video of it on the, on the church Facebook page if you want to kind of get a video of me there giving a little tour. Um, but there was, seems to have been a specific house here, probably Peter's house. And, um, and, and we're going to read in a little bit here that many people were gathered there. Mark chapter one, probably on your same page that you're on verse 33 said that the whole city was gathered together at the door. 
in chapter one. So it doesn't seem like they'd gone inside yet. They were still outside. Like when I visited many of you for the first time, you're like, hey, we're glad you're here, but threshold is as far as you're going to go this time, buddy. Then over time, you let me in and then see what happened. Okay. But uh, it was fun because Dustin kind of prompted us to do a Wikipedia search where we found that there were about 1,500 people in the city of Capernaum at that time. So picture 1,500 people kind of around the door of a small village house. That's chapter one. But by chapter two, uh, we see he came to the house and it was heard that he was in the house. And verse two starts off, immediately many gathered together there. So I don't want to hop into verse two yet because I think there's something interesting to note. And it is that Capernaum, the headquarters of Jesus, lots of miracles happened there. Um, And yet they were a city that did not receive the gospel of Jesus as a city. They loved the miracles. Jesus was a famous figure there. And yet, um, you know, they were ones that they were hardened every time Jesus would preach. Their hearts were hardened. And later on, Jesus would say uh, really a woe or a or a, almost a curse over Capernaum because all that he did there did not move them to worship Jesus and be followers of Jesus. They just kind of wanted you know, do stuff, Jesus, just do stuff for us, rather than we have found you to be Lord and Christ. And, uh, and so Jesus even says, man, if the works that had been done in you, Capernaum, had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, like they would have repented like that, but you still haven't repented. And man, there's going to be less judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah in that day than on you. It's the old to whom much has been given, much is required. And uh, J.C. Ryle has been a good friend of mine, uh, the book anyways, (laughs) as I've been reading Mark. And just, if you'll bear with me, he says, we forget the amazing power of unbelief and the depth of a man's enmity against God. We forget the Capernaites heard the most faultless preaching and saw it confirmed by the most surprising miracles and yet remained dead in trespasses and sin. We need reminding that the same gospel, which is the savor of life to some, is the savor of death to others. The same fire that softens the wax will harden the clay. Nothing, in fact, seems to harden men's hearts so much as to hear the gospel regularly and yet deliberately prefer the service of sin and the world. And so while we're here in Capernaum today, let's remember that Today, we've been given a special day. It's a gift of God that we get to gather here. Just like we, I mentioned that in the park service today. It's, the breeze is slightly blowing. It's beautiful, green grass. There's free food cooking behind me. And it's like the Lord is saying, guys, I've given you a gift to follow me today. As we know from the book of Hebrews, today, if you will hear my voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. We've got today. And you're hearing the gospel today. Don't kind of push it away so that you can give regard to your sin that'll just make you harder and harder and harder it's like a callus on a working man's hand the more you work that callus it just layers upon layers upon layers don't let your heart get calloused 
And so moving on to verse 2, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. So Jesus had become a bit of a celebrity. And uh, you can imagine being in a small town and having a celebrity pass through. I'm sure it's never happened in Polina, not even recently or, you know. Um, we in uh, Prineville, where do I live? Um, last year, I believe it was, maybe two years ago, we had, um, I wrote it down because we had to, oh, Gerard Butler. So Gerard Butler is a movie star. He's in all kinds of movies, you know. And uh, he rode his motorcycle through Prineville and stopped at Tasty Treat and ate. And oh my goodness, Facebook blew up and drunk. And I got to get down there and see him. Oh, it's too late. He's probably by Pal Butte. You should have seen the line of cars. No, I'm kidding. Um, and uh, I wasn't here when the uh, celebrities passed through Polina uh, for the LRS Fest. And if I imagine correctly, no one really cared because you guys are simple folk. They're like, I got to, and we got to, you know, and forget about them. But I trust that if Jesus would come into this place, there would be hooting and hollering, right? And uh, anyways, Jesus was a celebrity that everyone wanted to be around. And so some of the language or multitudes would follow him or throngs would follow him. Uh, Great folds would follow him. Many people, thousands of people. It was 1500 when they were just at the door. Now they're inside. So um, they've made their way in so that there's no longer uh, room to receive uh, and he entertained them. There, uh, what was the language? Immediately gathered, so there's no longer room to re- so there was no longer room to receive them. And that language, receive, means to entertain. It probably started off with a little drink, a little mis- Middle Eastern hospitality, a um, couple jokes, I'm sure. Uh, and yet, and then there's no longer room, no longer room to entertain them. But really, honestly, we see how Jesus entertained them. And it's the last phrase there in verse two. What did he do? He preached it, right? He preached the word to them. This is how Jesus entertained the crowd, the greatest act that he could do. And really, it's, it's why he says, I came, I came to preach the word. So let's go on to the other Cities, And that's why Paul tells his disciple Timothy, a young pastor, when he says in 1 Timothy 4, 1, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, exclamation point. Be ready in season and out of season. Always be ready. Convince while you preach. Rebuke while you preach. Exhort while you preach and be patient in that, in your teaching. And so he preached the word. And while he was preaching, something amazing is going to happen. Look at verse three. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Already. Don't you love this story? I mean, this is a good Bible uh, story for us today. True story, of course. A paralytic. Maybe you've got a King James Version Bible where it says, one sick of the palsy. It was one sick of the palsy. And the Greek is literally, uh, I have to get, I didn't wear my glasses today. 
paralyticos is in the Greek. Paralyticos. So he was a paralytic. He was uh, sick with palsy. Uh, the New Living Translation says he was on a mat as they brought him. Or I think it was Matthew said, and on a bed. A four-post bed. Couldn't have been that big. He's going to carry it away in just a little bit. But I love that his friends were carrying him. Uh, one old preacher said they were four kind friends. These are good guys, right? Um, of course, our joke, as we were studying the three of us, was were they kind or were they just tired of taking care of this guy? You know, <laughs> They're like, you've been doing this since you were little. We don't even know if you're really sick. And you are going and you are going to see the great position. You know, as they're huffing and puffing it. And, if, and we named the paralytic Jerry, just so you know. Um, so his name is Jerry. He looks like a Jerry and, um, and acts like a Jerry. We've all known. Any Jerry's in the name? I think we're good. Okay. Not Gary. Pass that along to your dad. H.A. Ironside said he had four friends who, apparently, who were apparently firmly convinced that the Lord would give strength to the palsied limbs of the sick man. I mean, you've got to be pretty fully convinced to be like, well, should we pack him down? I mean, what do you think? Well, we can put some ropes underneath and, you know, kind of, you know, forearm forklifts as seen on TV, you know, um, there's got to be a way. And you know what? We just got to get him down there. We are firmly convinced. It showed faith to drag this man down the street to pack him. And we're going to see it gets even better. Um, but they were uh, very convinced And just as Ryle said they were four kind friends, Ironside says they were four energetic friends. All right, these are guys that you want at the church moving parties, you know, as people are moving in and out of town. Do you have those here in Palina? Moving parties, people needing help? Okay. Lots in Prineville. In verse 4, and when they could not come near him, near Jesus, because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And so, uh, of course, the buildings are different over in Israel. Uh, Flat roofs, flat top roofs, uh, often with an external stairwell to get up to the top, entertain, work up there, all sorts of things. We know Simon Peter was up on a roof of, uh, of a tanner, Simon the Tanner. Uh, when he received the vision of the sheet coming down from heaven. And, uh, and so it's not like they were up on, you know, a lot of our central Oregon snowy, you know, what's the 12 to one peak or something like that. You know, um, this is a flat roof, um, but they went up on, they took they energetic friends, firmly convinced. Now they're packing him up on the roof, getting him up there. And now they're like, we're going in. All right. And they begin to break through. Uh, what Luke says was tiling. And so layers of, of tile and probably fronds and beams and enough to fit some sort of mat or bed through, probably some joists that had to be. And imagine, here's Jesus, and he's preaching, and it's a full room, and all of a sudden, <laughs> hammer, hammer, bang, bang, you know, and people are looking up, and Jesus is like, eyes up here, eyes up here, you know, and pretty soon... You know, a little dust is coming down and little, you know, and, uh, and they begin to, as the language is there, they begin to break through. It took four of these men, in the words of Dustin, homeboy was a little portly, I think was what he said in our study time. 
And they hauled him up on... I don't think that was you, Dustin. It was Joe all the way. Four men to bring their friend. I remember Joe saying in our studying, it seemed like it was a pretty big deal that Jesus was there. People were bringing their friends and they did whatever they could to get them there. I think it's, it's a wonderful example of taking our friends to Jesus. You know, how much do we value Jesus? How much are we fully convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the way of salvation? And what efforts will we take to bring our friends to Jesus, whether for healing or healing of the soul, for forgiveness of sins? And um, this week, and we're going to pray for you, Kimmy, before the end of the service today. Uh, we brought Kimmy uh, as a church in Prineville before the Lord, and we fasted as a church and we prayed for her. She has uh, some cancer tests coming back this week. And uh, we just were so desperate for Jesus to move in Kimmy's life that we just called the church to fast. And then we gathered together while she was going in the MRI machine. We were at the church praying. And this was a picture in our minds was we're bringing Kimmy before Jesus. And, and so even today, before we close, and I'll give a moment for this at the end, if anyone needs us to bring you to Jesus today, to pray for you. We want to give a place for that. And we are going to, whether you want to or not, Kimmy, we're going to pray for you because she has another big test tomorrow morning uh, as well. And, uh, but also bringing our friends to Jesus for salvation. And what effort are you taking as a friend or four friends against one to bring that person to Jesus, to be praying for them, to be inviting them to come hear the gospel, uh, to be sharing the gospel with them and bringing them and uh, great effort on these men's part. They uncovered the roof where he was. And when they'd broken through or tore it all through and dug through. And I, as I kind of joked about what that might have been like is, uh, you know, rubble starts coming through into the room. I like what Ironside said to him, to Jesus. It was no rude or unwarranted intrusion or interruption but mute evidence of the faith of the five who counted on him to exercise his power on their behalf uh you know somehow you can tell in your in the discernment of your spirit when there are distractions that are kind of like spiritual warfare and just weird stuff going on so today preaching in the park uh, i don't know hundred 50 people, 100 people, something like that there. And we're preaching the gospel, a book of Revelation on Laodicea, word of God going forth. And, and a man with, with a cowboy hat kind of, you know, uh, cruising around with a walker and just kind of like going through the crowd, you know, and stopping, you know, and, and cruising around and just the whole time just sensing like, man, you give this guy an inch and he's going to take a mile with it here in this park right now, you know, and, and he's done it before. So that's also how I knew that. But, um, but then there's, then there's times and and there's, there's times where you may know this, where a roof is caving in and you just see it's people just, they just want Jesus. And you're able to just be like, come on down, you know, bring it. Like we can stop what we're doing for a minute to watch what God's going to do in this moment. And, of course, Jesus being God had plenty of discernment to be able to not think rude, you know, were you born in a barn like me? You know, um, 
a little Christmas joke there, sorry. Um, in verse 5, too soon? Okay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. So first of all, Jesus saw their faith. It, it wasn't just one guy, it was all five of them. The four friends plus Jerry all had faith. And faith was seen, although, as Ironside said, it was a mute evidence of their faith. He was watching it take place. That faith was seen. And will you flip over to Hebrews chapter 11 with me? So it's to the right. Where are we at? Mark? So it's a ways. <laughs> uh, it's maybe a third, uh, two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. Hebrews 11. These are good memory verses, by the way. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Who has a different version than New King James Version? Maybe NIV or something like that. Sarah, you want to read that? So it's certain of what we hope, sure of what we hope for, and certain, sure and certain, essentially, of things that you can't see, but you're just certain of it. And, and these men were showing such faith, showing that they were sure, showing that they were certain, showing evidence that God is real. Just go down three verses to verse four there in Hebrews 11, four. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. And so just real quick, I was going to note the whole book of Hebrews chapter 11 is called uh, the hall of faith. Many people call it that the hall of faith. And it just goes through all of these heroes of the faith that have gone before us who by faith did this. They trusted in the Lord. And, and later on in that chapter, it goes on to say um, all of these guys we're not made perfect apart from us. God wants us to be a part of that great hall of faith. And I believe that these five guys are a part of that hall of faith in the chronicles of heaven. That they are those who um, offered to God an, a sacrifice of faith as they lowered their buddy down. And then in, as you're in Hebrews 11, look at verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, number one, and number two, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so Jesus is just so pleased as he sees the faith of these five friends. They believe he was and that he was going to act. He was going to act right in that moment. And Jesus did just that. And uh, I see in my notes here, and I might have hopped the gun a little earlier as I was talking about bringing your friends to Jesus. And I just have in my notes, uh, here we see what today may be known as intercessory prayer. It's also a way to bring your friends to Jesus is through prayer, laying your buddy at the feet of Jesus and exercising faith for them. And so how wonderful. So now say it was happening today, the roof is breaking open, there's a paralyzed man coming down, four friends, this guy obviously can't move, can't sit up, can't walk, uh, he's had, he has caretakers, 
And I mean, we would probably first of all kind of expect Jesus to heal him, right? Like, son, you're healed. And he gets up and everyone claps and then he moves along, right? Um, That's not what Jesus says right away. He has this incredible statement regarding something going on inside this man. His first words were, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. So we kind of ask a question, was his paralysis a result of some sort of sin? Um, No, I'm not of the theological perspective that all sickness is just because we did some sin and so we got sick. However, all of sickness and the bondage of corruption and the depravity of man is because of sin. However, you know, maybe, maybe there was some, something this guy did that, and it resulted in an accident or something. And he's been living under condemnation and Jesus just had to like lift that burden certainly could be the case, but it seems there's something deeper going on that Jesus saw a man who was paralyzed and tormented in that paralysis and that his primary need before his health was his soul health, that he needed forgiveness. And it's here where we see the servant Jesus meeting the real needs of people. And just so you know, it is hot in here. I'm giving myself five more minutes on my clock here, okay? So you can kind of be like, it's going to go on all afternoon, okay? Unless I forget to check my clock again, but I joke. Um, he's meeting the real need of people, which was paralysis because of sin. He had a sickness of the soul that was far more serious than a physically ill health bill. And he needed the message of life, which was far more important than a vaccine or some sort of a um, removal of a crutch. The palsied man had been literally without strength inside of himself, as Romans speaks of. Verse five, uh, verse six of Romans five. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And this palsied man indeed is without strength, but inside he needed a forgiveness of sin. If you'll allow me with Ryle once again, and um, it's been like meeting with an old friend because I studied Mark probably 15 years ago and I used some of these books and I've been reading them again and I've been having Lindsay read them to me as I enter them into my notes and we've just been enjoying these quotes together and it's been ministering to me. It's my gift to you uh, where J.C. Ryle helped me understand that sometimes the infirmities that we go through can actually be tools that God uses. Even there, they might be from the enemy, but God is able to use it for good. And he can use those tools to bring us to Jesus. And just listen to what J.C. Ryle had to say. Without his paralysis, he might probably have lived and died in ignorance and never have seen Jesus at all. That palsy was indeed a blessing. Without it, me have, without it, he may have kept his sheep on the green hills of Galilee his whole life long and have never been brought to Christ and never heard these blessed words, your sins are forgiven you. That palsy was indeed a blessing. And I just wonder what affliction and pain you're going through right now. And certainly like the Lord can redeem that or heal that or, 
or comfort in that. But also, I would encourage you to pray about, and Lord, how might you use what the enemy meant for wickedness, or that even my own sin has I've fallen into this, and how could you use this to draw me closer to you? Verse 6, And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. As we studied the three of us this week, um, you know, how true it might be, we just kind of pictured the scribes, you know, because they're kind of sitting there and, and they're kind of critical of what's going on, you know. And, and the interesting thing is they're seeing this going on. They see Jesus say, son, your sins are forgiven you. And what's going on in their heart, it goes on to say, why, this is verse seven, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God? This was big time slanderous on Jesus's part according to the Pharisees or the scribes. And, and so they're, they're reasoning in their heart and they're, who does this guy think he is? And Jesus, who knows what's going on inside their heart and brain, verse 8, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. And so it's a little bit of a rhetorical question, but in your brain real quick, what's easier? Um, Paul's man is laying here in our chapel, and, uh, and we were going to say, uh, your sins are forgiven you? Or is it easier to say, rise up and walk? It's easier to just say, your sins are forgiven you, because there's no... No one really knows. Well, they were or they weren't. Guess we'll not really know, you know. But if I were to say, rise up and walk, that, boy, proof is in the pudding at that moment, isn't it? And so Jesus goes on to say, to prove that the Son of Man, a reference from Daniel chapter 7, Jesus was calling himself the Messiah, to prove that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, something you wouldn't know if that happened or not, I'm also going to rise him up. And so then he rises this man up. He shows that he is God and that he has authority to, to, um, to give forgiveness of sins. And uh, goes on to say, said to the paralytic, verse 11, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Verse 12, and immediately he arose took up his bed, went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. And so Jesus proved it's God's prerogative to forgive sin and I'm God because I also am going to raise this guy up uh, from his mat. And everyone glorified God. That's what should happen when there's a healing ministry happening or some sort of a miracle. Whatever it should be, the chief end of that is to glorify God. And uh, closing in verse 13, then he went out again by the sea and all the multitudes came to him and he taught them. So if you want to go ahead and put your things aside 